Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Good morning, everybody. Take two. My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the guys on the leadership team here. It is our joy to have you with us at Redemption Hill. Whether this is your first time, you've been with us since the beginning, or anywhere in between, we, it is our pleasure that you're joining us this morning. And I was just thinking about my friends, the Yannock family that we were talking about a minute ago. Ade is a brilliant man, speaks four different languages. Rachel is a brilliant writer. And as I was reflecting on them, they're serving in places in Peru that you and I probably, if we weren't praying for them this morning, in villages that we never would have heard of. Small, tiny Peruvian villages in the rural mountains. Why would brilliant people invest their lives in places like that? Places that in our minds are not prominent, are not the center, cultural centers, and why would Redemption Hill pray for and invest in people all over the world? Why is that a priority for us? There's lots of work to do here. Why is that so important for us? Well, this is something we touched on back in the fall, during the summer, during our pillar series, that missions is one of our core pillars. Gospel, change, community, and mission. It's something we really value here, and we didn't just pull that out of the air. That's something that we get from the scriptures. We value that because God values that, because he says that in his word. In fact, today we're going to see in Psalm chapter 67, we're going to see that Redemption Hill has not only an opportunity, but a divine mandate to make God's name known, to leverage our blessings for his namesake among all the world. So let's pray, and then we'll hop into the word. Lord, we need you today. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. May I speak truly, wisely, and clearly for your name's sake. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a copy of God's word this morning, meet me in Psalm chapter 67. Psalm chapter 67. So I'm going to read through it from start to finish. It's a relatively short psalm. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, 
your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Now, there are things we don't know about the psalm. We, for instance, we don't know the author, but we do know the structure in which the psalmist wrote this psalm. It's called a chiasm. Now, it's a little different from what we've been going through in Mark. In Mark, you see the typical structure of what a sermon or a text in Scripture would go through. It's idea A, then a few, the next verse would be idea B, then idea C, idea B, and then idea D. It kind of, the ideas and the themes progress logically one to the next. That's what we saw in Titus. That's what we see in Mark. The psalm today that we're studying is a poem, so it's structured a little differently. So you see, idea A is both at the beginning, and then it comes back at the end. It's like a mirror. So idea A is at the beginning and end, and then idea B is second, and then second to last. And then in the middle is idea C, and idea C is the one that the, is the pinnacle. It's, it's almost like a step stool on each side, and idea C is at the center. And that's the big idea that the, song, the author really wants us to see. So we're going to have three points, and they're going to take from the beginning, and the, we're going to see point A, we're going to see that the beginning and the end. Point B is second and second from last, and idea C is going to be right there in the middle. And I say that so, you, so when I'm hopping from beginning to end of the passage, you're like, why, why is Jimmy hopping around the, the chapter? We want our, our preaching to match the structure of the text. So that's our goal this morning. So I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and verses 6 and 7, and let's see what the Lord has for us this morning. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So that verse 1, you might recognize it. It is a blessing that's used commonly throughout the Old Testament. It's called the ironic blessing, not ironic. Uh, no rain on your wedding day or anything like that. It is named after a guy named Aaron, who is the first high priest of Israel. And it was a blessing given to the high priest, who was the head of Israel's worship structure, the head worshiper of Israel. And he was to pray over this, prayer, this blessing over God's people. The first time we see it, when God gives it to the people, is actually in Numbers chapter 6. And we're going to look at that real quickly. It should be on the screen here. Numbers chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. That language, what an incredible blessing the Lord has given his people. That language of 
make his face to shine upon you, lift his countenance up, that in the Hebrew, what it's implying is, may the smile of God be upon the people. Beautiful blessing. Why? Verse 27, so shall they put my name upon the people. When you hear name, especially in the Old Testament, think reputation. God is saying, these people, I'm going to bless them, and they are going to be my reputation bearers. They are going to bear my name so that people outside of Israel, when they look at my people, the people I have chosen, they see what I am like. God has called his people to be reputation bearers. And the psalmist picks this up in Psalm 67, our text today. I'm going to reread verses 1 and 2 again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now, I want you to notice here the word that's coming up. And when you see the word that in this context, think cause and effect. Why is God being gracious to us and blessing us and making his face to shine upon us? So that your way, God's way, may be known on earth his saving power among all nations. God blesses his people so that his reputation bearers may make his saving reputation known everywhere, to everyone, everywhere. That word, when it says your way may be known, it's God's typical way of acting. And when God intervenes in history, typically it is to save his people. He acts in a salvific way pulling his people out of death and into life. God is saying, I'm going to bless you, my reputation bearers, so that you make my salvation known. And how much more for us if the people of Psalm 67 had an incredible salvation, how much more so us? In Psalm 67, their, their salvation that they were thinking of was the, the exodus God's people were enslaved in Egypt for centuries and decades. And God supernaturally saved them out of Egypt through incredible miracles, the pinnacle of which was called the Passover. So God had told his people that all the firstborn in the land would die. But if the people covered their doorposts, with the blood of a spotless lamb. Then the angel of the Lord would pass over that house and the firstborn would not die. And that came true. The angel of the Lord came through. The firstborn, the firstborn of the land died unless the blood of the lamb covered the doorpost. After that, Pharaoh let the people go. Then he changed his mind. He his army pursued the people to the Red Sea, and God split the Red Sea and brought the people through the Red Sea on dry land. And when the army of Pharaoh pursued, the water came back crashing down on them, saving the people of Israel. That is an incredible salvation. But you and I, we have the, the better Passover lamb. Jesus God's Son, the Son of God, lived the perfect life as the perfect, spotless Passover lamb. 
He died on the cross. And for those covered in his blood, the blood of the slain and risen lamb, death passes over us. We have the opportunity to have eternal life in Christ. If that was true of Psalm 67, that they had an, and they had an incredible salvation, but beloved, what kind of salvation do we have? How incredible of a salvation do we have? Look at Ephesians chapter 1. This was our public reading. Look at the incredible blessings we have through our Passover lamb, Jesus. And we sang about this as well in that opening song. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We were sinners. Every single one of us went our own way, not God's way. Every single one of us disobeyed God. Every single one of us, since the very first man and woman, has done evil against God and evil against one another. And yet, in Christ, we are holy and blameless before, the, before God himself. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. We do not serve a miserly God, beloved. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory." How good is our God that not only does he redeem us and forgive us and predestine us and adopt us, but he actually, in case our hearts should waver and we doubt that he is going to truly save us, he gives us a down payment. When you're renting an apartment, why do they ask for a security deposit? Because they don't know. They're the trustworthy ones and they don't know if you're going to return the apartment to them. And yet our God gives us a security deposit. (laughs) Like, this is incredible. What an incredible blessings we have in Christ. So if the people of Psalm 67 had blessings in salvation, beloved, we have incredible, amazing blessings. How much more so should we make known the salvation of our God to the nations? And not only spiritual blessings. Verse 7 in Psalm 67, or sorry, verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. It's, it's talking about farming. It's an agricultural people. He's saying the crops have yielded well. Every blessing, spiritual and material, should be leveraged for the glory of God. Rejoice in them for his glory. So what does that mean? It means we live as ambassadors for our words, and with our deeds. 
The Apostle Paul connects this idea of reputation bearers to our identity. He says in verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5, talking about, he talked about our ministry of reconciliation in the prior verses. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Note that word, implore. That is a verbal word. That is a word that talks about how we use our words. You may have heard it said before, share the gospel if necessary, use words. It's not true, friends. It's just not true. Our actions are important, but words are necessary. God has done specific things in history and requires specific responses from people. He created. We sinned. He sent his son. He died and rose and ascended. We are called to respond in repentance. And we can't charades that to people. I once heard a, uh, one of my favorite humorist and authors, a man named Garrison Keillor, um, he grew up in Minnesota, and he talks a lot about a fictional town in Minnesota that's kind of based on his hometown he grew up in. And he was writing a story about how it was founded. And he jokingly said it was founded by Unitarian missionaries who came to share the gospel with the Native Americans through interpretive dance. And he was just saying that to be silly and be, be funny, because it's a funny word picture. But he's hit on something, the reason why it's funny, because it is crazy to think that we can just act and hope people can guess the gospel. Our actions are important, but words are necessary. But I don't want to devalue the, the power of our actions. No one likes a hypocrite. Our words are important, but so, is our, so are our actions. They're not completely unimportant. They, they're vital. One of my favorite theologians talked about how we live our lives, and he described it as if we were like those department stores in New York City, like Macy's at Christmas time. And you walk past the window, and they've got this display, this beautiful display of what it's like inside the store. You look at the display, and it draws you in. You see what the store is like on the inside, and it makes you want to go into the store and find out more. We are, God, as God's reputation bearers, as his ambassadors, we are a display people. We show the world what he is like, his agenda, not our own. Ambassadors don't live for their own agenda. We live for the agenda of the king. We live as ambassadors, as reputation bearers of our words and our deeds. So my question is, when are you tempted to live for your own kingdom? When are you tempted to not talk about Jesus, to avoid spiritual conversations? Who are the people that make you nervous? Like, oh, I know Jesus calls me to do X, Y, Z. But I shouldn't do that right now because I don't know what they'd think. That probably will expose some idols in our heart. And I would just encourage you, take that step of faith. Choose boldness. Wisdom, but boldness. 
to take that step of living as an ambassador. Because we see that when the nations come to know him, when lost people come to know him, they rejoice. God desires not only the nations to know of his salvation, but he desires a certain response. Look at verse 3 in Psalm 67. Let the nations be glad, or let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And you see that verse 5 is exactly the same thing. You see how it mirrors each other. God desires all the nations to worship him. He desires a joyful, worshipful response. Pastor and theologian John Piper has said that missions is not an end in itself. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is the end. Look what he wrote. Piper says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship is our destiny. Worship is the destiny of the redeemed. Worship is how the story ends. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it talks about a multitude that we will be a part of that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is where Piper is drawing that idea from. Worship is the goal because worship is our destiny. See, every tribe... Every tongue, every nation, every people, not most, not some, not a bunch, every tribe, every nation, every people, every language, a multilingual praise of God. We're going to be hearing worship in all these different languages. We not only get to participate in that as our destiny, but we get to participate in that right now in bringing the nations to himself. In seeing the nations rejoice in God and worship him, which is what he desires from them. But there's work to do. There's work to do. Why does Redemption Hill care about missions? Right now in the world, there is 7,414 unreached people groups. They represent 3.2 billion individuals. That's almost half of the planet's population are in people groups that are less than 2% Christian. If nothing changes, those 42% of people on planet Earth will be born, live their whole lives, and die without ever hearing the gospel. Does that break your heart? Does that not break your heart for those with no access? You might be thinking, Jimmy, I'm not, I hear you and that does break my heart, but I don't know if I'm called to get on a plane and move to Southeast Asia or Central Asia. Well, maybe, maybe not. 
but we're all called to get in the game. We can all participate in God's mission to make the nations known, to bring the nations to worship him. The organization I work for, the International Mission Board, we talk about four ways that you can get in the game. To pray. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is looking out on the crowds, and they're coming to him. And he has compassion on them because they're helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. So he turns to his closest followers and he says, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest fields. That command is just as applicable to us as it was to the twelve. Not, it doesn't require getting on a plane. It can be the youngest of us to the oldest of us. Every single one of us can pray. After, if you want to talk about some, we can talk about some resources that make it easy to pray for the nations. Second, give. We just did that this morning. Opportunity every week here at Redemption Hill to contribute to God's global mission, as well as opportunities throughout the year to give above and beyond your typical giving. To send. We talk about sending. What we, talk, what we mean is that a lot of times when missionaries come and visit, we'll hear their story and we'll clap and we'll shake their hand and we'll maybe throw a check in the plate and then we'll forget about them until they come back in two years on furlough. To send means that we don't just pat people on the back and passively support them with a check in the plate every now and then and forget about them but we actively love our missionaries before they go, while they're on the field, and after they return. Active love. It means when they're applying for service overseas and their aunt or neighbor says, you're going to move your kids where? You're taking your kids out of school? You're giving up your job? We're the ones as their brothers and sisters in Christ, you say, no, 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 no. You are doing the right thing. In God's economy, this choice makes total sense. When they're on the field, we send them care packages and letters, and we Zoom call them, and we send them emails, and we pray for them. Maybe we even go visit them. And when they come back, we, listen, we ask them questions. We help them readjust. It's hard. It's hard to adjust when you move overseas, and it's hard to adjust when you come back. Active love every step of the way, as a community, working together, and then to go. Some of us, I do believe, are called to go overseas, to get on the plane, to move to places with very little access to the gospel. But even if you aren't called to go across the ocean, every single one of us is called to go across the street. There are lost people in all of our lives. Not only that, we have an unreached people group right here in Galloway. Did you know that? The Somali Bantu people, to our knowledge at Redemption Hill, we don't know of any believers within that people group globally. An incredible blessing, an incredible opportunity the Lord has stewarded to us. 
Pray, give, send, go. What is the Lord calling you to do? One step. Can you download an IMB prayer app? Can you pray for a missionary today? What is one thing you can do this week to take a step, active love, to get in the game? Because we see God's saving character brings joy to the nations, and we get to participate in that through our praying, our giving, our sending, and our going. But what is it in particular about God's character that draws the most joy of the nations? Let's look at verse 4. This is the pinnacle of the passage. Verse 4 of chapter 67 of Psalms says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Again, cause and effect language, y'all. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. What causes the most joy in the nations? God's justice and his sovereignty. If we were putting bets down on this, I don't know if justice and sovereignty would be the top two. Probably pick things like grace or mercy or love. And those are all beautiful and incredible and do cause joy. But isn't it interesting that in this passage, what the psalmist points out, God's justice that he guides the nations on earth, sovereignty. I think this is something, though, that our society, especially my generation as millennials and the younger generation as Gen Z, desperately needs to hear. All of us have a God-given desire for justice. Every single one of us. But we live in an unjust world. Again, every single one of us has gone our own way, not God's way. Every single one of us has disobeyed him. And we live in this fallen, broken world where there is evil inside of us and brokenness around us. So when injustice, which all of us face, on a, some of the time it's big things, sometimes it's little things. Sometimes it's watching the news and seeing bombs falling on children's hospitals in Ukraine. Sometimes it's little things, like hypothetically, maybe, uh, I don't know, an NFL football team is one first down away from the Super Bowl, and then the refs miss a blatant pass interference call, and they lose. Hypothetical, complete hypothetical, pulling that out of the air, you know? Not bitter. Um, But when things like that, big or small, happen, when when something happens on the news, when our kids just won't listen to us, Again, an injustice. When we see, when our coworker or our classmate does something that annoys us, what do our hearts do? So often our hearts grab for control. We go to anger because we think it gives us some, some little bit of control. My kid won't listen, so I'm going to yell. And maybe they'll listen to me. This politician did something I don't like, so I'm going to post something online, or I'm going to stew in my heart and yell at my TV or my computer or my phone. I'm going to give my classmate the silent treatment or my coworker the silent treatment or be passive-aggressive with them because I don't like what they did in X situation. 
we take justice into our own hands because we secretly fear that there's not anyone else that will be just on our behalf. But look at verse 4. God is going to judge the peoples with equity. God is perfectly just, and he's the only one who's perfectly just. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Every deed. Every secret thing. First of all, that should be challenging to us. We hear that like, whew. But it's also, in a sense, comforting. There are no secrets before God. Every injustice done against us and in this case, let's assume it's a, it's a real injustice, not the football thing. Every injustice done against us will either fall on the sinner or on Christ. Every single one. There are no secrets. Not only does God see what's on the outside, in 1 Samuel, God says, man sees the outside, but God sees the heart. He's the only one who's perfectly just because he sees every secret thing. Not only that, he's the only one who sees hearts. He is the only one who can be perfectly just. And what's beautiful about that is not only is he just, he's sovereign. And we can rejoice in that because if he were only perfectly just and not sovereign, then he'd be ineffective. If he were only sovereign but not just, he'd be a tyrant. Because he's both we can rejoice with the nations. So what, what do we do, beloved? We bring our desire for justice to the cross. We bring our desires for justice and control to the cross. We give it to him. We say, Lord, I am sorry that I have tried to take this in my own hands. I trust you with it. And sometimes there are actions to take. There are steps to take. We have been given responsibilities, our life as parents, our role as citizens. There are times parents have to punish their kids. There are times citizens need to step up and speak up and, make, and participate in the political system. But our ultimate hope is in God and his justice. We act in accordance with his obedience to his word and we wait on the Lord. Because his justice, it may seem slow, but it is not, it will not, his mercy will not be put off forever. He will avenge himself. And if you're not a believer in this room, and first of all, if you're not a believer in this room, we're so glad you're here this morning. And you might be thinking, Jimmy, that's great, but I know you Christians, and you Christians mess up all the time. I think, actually, maybe you're the ones, like, I don't know why you'd think I did anything wrong. You're the ones that need to get your stuff in order. I hear you. But look what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2. He just, in chapter 1, he laid out all these different injustices and ways that people can go their own way, not God's way. They can do evil against one another says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, 
every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing, hear this, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Why has God blessed his people? God has blessed his people so that those who don't know him can see his salvation. If you're not a follower of Jesus, look at the kindness that God has given you. He has blessed his people, not just so his people can rejoice in him. Yes, he does do that. But also so that those who don't know him might see how beautiful and gracious a God he is. His kindness and you being here this morning at Redemption Hill Church is meant to lead you to repentance. Beloved, if he is stirring your heart, if he's calling you to repent today, I just encourage you to take that step and put your trust in him. To repent, whether... And this actually goes for those of us who are believers or those of us who are not believers. To repent of our idols of control and put our trust in him. Say, Lord, I have tried to control things and be my own God and do things my own way. But you are sovereign and you are good and you are just I choose to surrender to you. I surrender to you. I give up my desires to control my own life and and through my own anger, control the situation. Forgive me. Cover me with your blood so that I might rejoice in you, sovereign and just God. If that's something you'd like to talk more about, talk, feel free to talk to me or any of the folks who have been on stage this morning. We'd love to have a conversation with you about what that could look like. Let's close in prayer. Father, your word is so good and it does not return void. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to come together as a community today. Lord, I know I have sinned against you. I have desired to control things through my own anger. And I am but a human. I cannot control things. You are God. You are sovereign and in control, and you deserve all the glory from our lives. Lord, may we trust you and rejoice in your salvation, your justice, and your sovereignty. And may we rejoice in your blessings so that the nations, the 3.2 billion with no access to the gospel, might rejoice in you. If you're calling us to participate in your mission today, which you are, Lord. We pray that you would help us take steps of obedience to pray, give, send, and go. Help us as a community love and encourage one another as we work to fulfill your mission for your name's sake. Amen.